Hi, I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir. Today, we return to a conversation about how to tackle hunger on a global stage. We had that conversation with Baron Seeger, CEO of the World Food Program USA, and Sandra Lee, the founder of Semi Homemade and a World Food Program USA board member. As we've covered on this podcast, the global pandemic has increased the demand for food worldwide. According to the World Food Program, 272 million people are facing hunger due to COVID-19, and that's up from 150 million people in 2019. While the need is great, there's real opportunity to solve the crisis of hunger, but it's going to take all of us. In this episode, we learn what the World Food Program USA is doing to solve hunger and how you can share your strength to make a difference. I'm here with my sister, Debbie Shore. Great to have you back on the podcast. It's been a long time. An absence. Love being here. Um, And two amazing guests, Sandra Lee, who is uh, a champion of Share Strength in the No Kid Hungry campaign for well over a decade. Uh, Most folks know her as an Emmy Award uh, winning uh, broadcaster of incredible shows about food, the author and originator of the semi homemade concept, 27 best selling books. And more recently, a documentary, Early uh, RX Early Detection of Cancer Journey with Sandra Lee. Uh, and now, uh, in this context of this conversation, a uh, member of the board of the World Food Program USA. Sandra Lee, we are so grateful that you've taken the time to be with us. And a big supporter of ours over the years, too. Yes, I love I love No Kate Hungry. I mean, we've done a lot of good things together, and we have a lot more to do. So thank you for having me. Well, thanks. And Baron Seeger, uh, our first conversation and really thrilled that we're able to do this. Uh, Baron is the president and CEO of the World Food Program USA, plays an absolutely vital role in resourcing the critical work of the World Food Program in uh, attacking and hopefully someday ending uh, global hunger. Share Our Strength, uh, Baron, started as an organization focused on global hunger before we kind of pivoted to the needs in the U.S. And one of the things that we're going to be eager to talk to you about uh, is how you help stakeholders and supporters and others uh, think about how to balance uh, those needs. They're they're compelling on so many fronts. Um, And I know that the work of the uh, World Food Program is focused uh, on not just policymakers, but corporations, foundations, individuals, uh, every possible way to bring support to the effort to end global hunger. Uh, really a, an honor to have you, Baron. It's, it's, it's obviously great to be here and, and great to be talking to two people that care about what's happening around the world. Uh, you know, one place I would just like to start is, uh, I think, uh, Sandra Lee, you're a relatively new member of the board of World Food Program USA. Uh, tell us how the two of you connected. How did that come about? Well, Baron and I live in the same building and are both um, also supporters of UNICEF. I started the UNICEF board in Los Angeles with two girlfriends about 20, I guess it's like 22 years ago now. And um, it's one of their largest boards currently, which is wonderful. And then right after my breast cancer journey, I became um, the emissary, their nutrition emissary. um, And have done a lot of uh, field trips and and work over the years with uh, UNICEF. Um, 
so Baron and I met through UNICEF and then we live in the same building in New York City and we were in the elevator one day and just started talking about what the world should look like and could look like. And Baron said that he was thinking about taking on uh, the World Food Program and heading it up. And I thought that was a great idea. And then he said, would you be interested on being on the board? And um, it all went from there. And here we are. So when I think about how much you've done for the No Kid Hungry campaign, Sandra, uh, and then realized that if we only lived in your building, you'd be doing even more. <laughs> that would be incredible. Well, you know, here, here, here's what I would say, you know, Billy, the, the, the key to capturing anybody's attention in the world is to ride the elevator up and down until the person gets on the elevator with you, and then you'll have a very intimate conversation. Envision what you want and focus on the steps to get what you want. <laughs> That's Barron's motto. <laughs> Sandra, I, I know you're your recent uh, appointee, so I'm wondering if you've had a chance to travel yet outside of the United States, given the state of the world. Uh, and if you have, where have you been? I have not. I don't think anybody has had the luxury of traveling, even if it is on a mission trip, which right now I think would be a luxury for us and certainly would make a huge impact. And I cannot wait to get on the road with the uh, World Food Program team. Uh, I'd like to start, Baron, with av having you just describe for folks who aren't familiar with the World Food, Food Program, uh, how it and World Food Program USA play such an important role in global hunger. Sure. Uh, well, the, the World Food Program, which most of us are familiar with, is the largest global humanitarian organization in the entire world. Um, we have 16,000 boots on the ground in over 83 countries. And our world has changed significantly since COVID. Uh, last year, we helped feed around 100 million people in these 83 countries. Um, this year, we're being asked to feed um, uh, upwards of uh, 130 million people. Um, and we've seen a real pivot in the need and the number of people that are now marching towards starvation in, in many countries. Uh, the World Food Program right now is also the, the logistics backbone of the UN. So uh, on any given day, we have between 100 and 120 planes. We have 20 to 30 cargo ships and 5,700 trucks on the ground moving supplies. So when you think about the World Food Program, uh, not only delivering food, but we're actually uh, doing logistics for all the UN agencies. Uh, that's in, that includes PPE. Uh, it also includes um, transporting uh, staff um, to the field for, for many, many organizations. I, I heard something the other day that said that we've, we've now transported around 10,000 people. And then we're also transporting uh, individuals who get sick and need to be uh, uh, taken to uh, hospitals. Um, so um, we're doing a, a lot right now um, with uh, many, many, many organizations that goes beyond the scope of what we were doing even, even a year ago. And then you've got the World Food Program USA, which is the group that Sandra and I represent today. So we're the organization in the US, we're the, the voice. Uh, we are unlocking private philanthropy. And very importantly, the U.S. government has been a, a significant funder, contributor, advocate for the World Food Program. And we do a lot of work, uh, a lot of policy work, a lot of work on the Hill in collaboration with, with the World Food Program. And, uh, and trying to make sure that, that we're raising voices 
um, around the world, such as the voice of Sandra, you, Billy, uh, around the needs, not only here in the U.S., but the needs around the world. And talk a little bit about how um, it has changed from pre-COVID to COVID. I'm assuming as dramatically as everything else has changed in the world. So um, I, uh, for the World Food Forum, I, I've really been impressed based on the, the quickness. Uh, I heard our global executive director, David Beasley, speak the other day. And uh, to a couple of things he said, number one, he said, listen, we are a get it done organization. And, and he's right. You know, we have, um, you know, the, the, the UN system is leveraging our, our, our core assets, which are way beyond distributing food that we have. So we're pre-positioning supplies. Um, even when you think about uh, Lebanon, who is already suffering from COVID and a, and a really terrible economy, we're helping uh, countries with infrastructure. We're helping with the, the delivery of food and PPE and ventilators. Um, and, and we're transporting staff from many organizations to the field um, because you, you know, the same people can work 24 hours a day. And, and so there's a, there's a need for additional staffing in these countries. And, and we're being asked to, to feed uh, and support more people. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is that around the world, we are, we are very fearful that almost a quarter of a billion people are marching towards starvation. And this is up, by the way, from just over 100 million people uh, only a year ago. So to your point, the need is absolutely astonishing. And we're seeing this, we're seeing early signs in Latin America, in Brazil. Um, but, you know, we're working in, in, in countries where people are earning about $1.90 a day. And so they can't isolate because, what, you know, they have to make a choice between isolating and, and starving. And, and so, you know, there, there is no infrastructure. There are no safety nets. And this is where the World Food Program comes in. Because we are, in so many cases, the only source of food for so many people. We'll be right back with Baron Seeger and Sandra Lee in just a few moments. We are so grateful to our partner, William Sonoma, Inc., for the incredible support they've provided to No Kid Hungry over the years. This month, the William Sonoma, Inc. family of brands is launching their annual Tools for Change campaign. It includes a variety of products that can be purchased in support of No Kid Hungry. Without partners like William Sonoma, who have been with us every step of the way, the work that we do would not be possible. So thank you, William Sonoma, Inc., for your steadfast support. We're so excited to see the success of this year's campaign. And be sure to check out the amazing products benefiting No Kid Hungry at www.williams-sonoma.com slash nokidhungry. Thanks so much. Baron, um, you know, I, I'm imagining that, like, at Share Our Strength with the No Kid Hungry campaign, we, you know, we fund organizations all over the country in all 50 states, and we provide, you know, emergency grants and technical assistance. But we we also have some, you know, prioritization list. And I'm think I'm wondering at the level of devastation that you know you're dealing with, um, you know, how do you, you know, how do you think about prioritizing countries that you have to invest in, and, and how do you balance all of that? Like what goes into that criteria, if if you can explain it? Yeah, sure. I, no, I absolutely. It's, and and it's it's a good question. It's it's candidly based on the need, and we we uh, do what's called a hunger map, 
and it shows where the greatest needs are around the world. And where the greatest needs are around the world are areas where we are focusing our attention. And um, I may use Yemen as an example. Uh, you know, I, I heard some uh, some statistics recently that said that the World Food Program is now providing food, life-saving food, for half of the population of the entire country. And it's mind-boggling that half of an entire country are living on beans and lentil and rice and oil. I mean, this is this is what we're not talking about poultry and a vegetable and, and, and a potato. Um, you know, we're talking about foods that are the most basic to keep people uh, alive. But we, we have a hunger map, and, and I'm happy to share that with, with your audiences, and Billy can post that as well. Um, but it helps us identify where the need is greatest. And then um, we're also working with our other UN partners to make sure that our focus is where we can deliver the services to those in the greatest need. Um, access is, is, a, is, a, is a big point, um, which is why we've also set up seven regional hubs uh, throughout Africa, the Middle East, to make sure that we can deliver supplies where they're needed. But it is truly based on the, 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 uh, the greatest need. One of the beauties of the World Food Program is that we've been operating in these countries for 30 and 40 years. So we have the relationships with other partners, with governments, to make sure that that supplies are being delivered where the where the, the need is absolute greatest. But the hunger map, which is using satellite technologies, it's using information from the ground and from our other UN partners to make sure that our focus is on those in the greatest need. Are there are there countries that you won't go into? So there there are very few countries we will not go into, but I would say that um, you know that where we we have to keep our staff safe. Uh, and so there are areas, for example, in some countries where uh, rebels are, are fighting um, and where we are not able to safely deliver supplies. So um, the answer is, you know, yes, there are areas that we can't put staff at risk. We can't get access to. And we also have to make sure that our supplies get to the right people. Um, and so there are areas within countries uh, where we just cannot deliver services. Uh, Sandra, you know what I wanted to ask you is, uh, I feel like the work that uh, Baron does and that Debbie and I do that you're so intimately uh, familiar with, uh, w one of our struggles is always ensuring that, uh, that at least awareness uh, begins to take hold with people so that they understand how severe these problems are. And we see spikes in it. Uh, certainly during COVID, people understood that there was a uh, food insecurity in the United States and hunger at levels they haven't seen before. Uh, we're hearing uh, how dramatically the need has increased uh, globally. Uh, it seems to me that one of the really invaluable things that you, Sandra, bring to this is an ability to help us reach a, a larger audience. Uh, you've got a platform and you've developed a voice. And I'd, I'd love uh, for our listeners to hear a little bit about how that came about, how that um, journey started for you and uh did, did you expect to to be in this place where you not only had the kind of expertise and the passion that you have around food and health but um but a platform as well well you know it's very interesting when i was starting the unicef board here in los angeles with the two girlfriends i mentioned before 
um, I was focused on global hunger. And it wasn't until semi-homemade really took off and no kid hungry, you approached me and really educated me on what the domestic issues were. And at that time, I really thought that my own childhood, which I was raised on welfare and food stamps, I was one of the kids on the hot lunch program. And we didn't even have, nobody was even talking about the possibility of having classroom breakfasts because people weren't really focused on the United States and the children in the U.S. um, also being hungry. Um, I really thought that my growing up was an anomaly, was just something that, you know, only happened to us. So when you educated me on what was really going on in the United States with so many other children, um, I resigned from the UNICEF board in Los Angeles um, and the international work and started focusing my energy on No Kid Hungry uh, for personal reasons, uh, mostly because I just don't believe that children or elderly or anyone who really can't take care of themselves should be left out there alone. And secondly, to kind of bring a face to what that could look like. And a lot of people think, oh, well, if children are raised in poverty and they don't have the um, platforms or they don't have the um, contacts uh, to really make something of their lives, they're going to fail anyway. So, you know, you know, I feel really badly that that child, you know, is raised in that environment, but what can I really do? Um, And as you really tunnel down into what it takes, what very little it takes to bring a child up and to nurture a child and to nourish a child, um, both from a food standpoint, but also from an emotional standpoint and an education standpoint and all those things, you see how you can easily change not just one life, but a series of lives. Had I been left out there on my own and hadn't had anybody kind of embrace me and I didn't have mentors or people that told me I could, I may not have created semi-homemade. I may not have been able to do all the work that I've done. We together created um, the Great American Bake Sale platform. And I think we threw a couple of the world's largest bake sales at Grand Central Station that raised not only a ton of awareness, but a ton of money. It is both because a lot of people don't realize that even within their small communities, and even if they don't have money to give, they can donate their time. They can donate food to the food banks. And it's also important to remember, I think, where you come from. And when you come from a place like that, uh, I think you need to give back. If you don't come up from a place like that, it is wonderful um, for those people, uh, whether they're, you know, um, you know, high income or, you know, middle income, whatever it is to really focus their energies and their money and their time on helping people who aren't as, um, who don't have as much, who weren't raised with as much and maybe don't have as many opportunities. But certainly if you come from that background and you understand it viscerally, um, you can't not engage and you can't not give back, especially if you've made something of yourself and other people always come into play when it, when it comes to that. And you have to be grateful. I certainly am. And and this, this platform that enables you to mobilize people so effectively, as you've just described, largest, you know, great American bake sale ever. Um, Was that an afterthought? Was that something that you were uh, intentional about developing, you've been so effective in in reaching people and being um, a, a really important ambassador for these causes. Um, 
where was that in your plan or did it just happen? You know, it happened obviously when, when you approached me, uh, and no kid hungry approached me and it happened through my education with UNICEF to really understand what was going on, not just domestically, but globally. And it is unbelievable to me that just right next door, our neighbors right next door in Latin America, um, you know, they're seeing a rise in people facing food insecurity of 269% right now. Those spikes are happening right now. And those are our neighbors. Those are our, our, you know, our brothers and our sisters in Latin America. So for me, um, you know, I just wanted to bring as much light and awareness as I could when I was asked to do the chefography, which was really a biography um, of my life. It was very hard for me to shoot because I, or to film because I had never told that story before. And as you continue to tell the story, it gets easier and it gets easier. But for a very short time of my life, I was a little ashamed of it. I didn't really want people to know what it was, even though semi-homemade was based on the 70-30 philosophy of the grocery store and how to utilize things in your own pantry and here's how you get it done. And then money-saving meals was all budget-based, obviously. Uh, after 2008, um, it took a while. It's a process and everybody has to go through their own process. Baron, I um, have been thinking about the difference between hunger in the U.S. And, and hunger abroad. And obviously here in the United States, we've got, you know, we've got hunger, we've got malnutrition, but we don't have starvation. Um, people don't die of hunger in the United States. And I'm wondering, I know you haven't traveled recently, but, you know, pre-COVID, I'm wondering how you and the team prepare for what you see in these countries and how you prepare for seeing kids and families starving. Um, so that's kind of the first part. And then the second part I'm thinking about is um, what, you know, what are the steps that help bring, you know, kids back from the brink uh, of starvation? So what I would say is uh, I, I knew the World Food Program USA was ultimately going to be my home. And I, while I haven't been to the field recently, I've been to the field extensively and I've seen the World Food Program firsthand and I've seen the services that they've delivered. And I, I saw it in, uh, on the border of uh, Gambella, which is one of the nine regions in Ethiopia, which borders South Sudan. And I saw so many uh, kids and moms and candidly grandmothers that uh, left um, and were fleeing violence to stay alive. And I saw how they were walking for days, uh, in some cases, candidly weeks, and they would enter um, this um, safe camp. Um, and the first um, area they entered was um, to be fortified with food because they were too weak to, to walk. And I just will never forget um, these kids, these moms looking me in the eye um, and just so appreciative of what um, organizations were doing to keep them alive. And so um, I saw how, because I, I was there for a few days and I saw how food literally brought a child, brought a mom back to life. And uh, so, you know, for me, um, when I think about food and, you know, as you probably saw from my bio, I have the great honor of being a founding board member of the Elton John 
AIDS Foundation, and uh, I was able to travel to Central America. I went to a hospital that was um, providing antiretroviral drugs for women and children. And, uh, and what I saw was that so many of these women and children were malnourished. And even though we were providing antiretroviral drugs, they couldn't take them. They couldn't take them because they had an empty stomach. They didn't have any food. Uh, and, and, the, and by taking the drugs, it was making them sick. So they would opt not to take these, uh, the antiretroviral drugs. So I, I, I saw firsthand how being nourished eliminated, um, you know, being nourished uh, allows somebody to take medicine. Whether, by the way, that's for diarrhea, whether that's for uh, a vaccine, or whether that's for an antiretroviral drug. Uh, but being, yeah, something we, right. Yeah, something we don't think about, right? You just think about, you know, you're hungry, you need to eat, but what you're, you know, shedding light on is something I hadn't thought about, the importance of being able to take medication on an empty stomach. Well, you know, it's also interesting when you think about here in the United States, I mean, you know, just, you know, we care about kids that are hungry everywhere, whether they are here in the United States or whether they're in Latin America or whether they're, whether they're in Africa. Absolutely no mother or child should go to bed hungry. And hungry means on an empty stomach. It means that, that, that your body is not able to function. And, and so what we've seen with COVID is that when you're malnourished, you cannot fight disease. And in most of these less developed countries, there are no uh, hospitals. Uh, you know, I, I, I read stories all the time about how um, when somebody gets sick, you know, there's maybe one doctor for every thousand or two thousand people. So you know, there's no place to go. Uh, there are no testing centers. There are no uh, there there are, there are no ventilators. And so and so for us, you know, being malnourished is one of the first places to fight uh, a disease. And, and in terms of, of the uh, steps, um, this is the beauty of, of the UN system in, in general, because, uh, and I, I go back to when I was in the, the, this camp in Gambella, I saw multiple organizations that each were playing a role. And so whether it was um, the World Food Program or Save the Children or CARE, or Catholic Relief, uh, everybody was, ha or UNHCR, we all had a role to play so that we aren't stepping on each other's toes. So just know it is a very coordinated approach to, to providing relief to, to refugees, which is one of the main areas where, where we're, we're working. But I would also say that, uh, that, uh, that when you think about the World Food Program, it's not just delivering the food to somebody, we actually are one of the biggest um, areas where we're doing cash-based transfers. So um, in many countries, uh, families get $27 a month. It's a cash-based transfer. So a lot of, a lot of countries where we operate, there, there, there are supplies, there is food, but there's no money to buy the food. So in Lebanon, as an example, um, before this explosion at the port where 85% of the food comes in, we were distributing 650,000 um, cash cards 
uh, every month. Now we've upped that to uh, a million. And so when you think about how we restore people, it's either through these distribution centers, and we've greatly expanded the number of distribution centers because we also recognize that uh, that we have to uh, implement social distancing. And the way to do that is to multiply the number of distribution centers. And then where we can, we distribute the cash cards, which allow people to go and buy produce um, to bring back to, to their families. Now, you know, as you're talking about the just the, the massive need and the scale of this, um, something I'd love to hear you both comment on at Share Strength, we constantly talk about childhood hunger in the United States being a solvable problem. We have no shortage of food in the U.S. and we have no shortage of food programs, whether it's school meals or SNAP and WIC and other types of assistance. Uh, one of the things that I had read uh, from you, Baron, and it really surprised me and, and I found heartening uh, was your conviction that global hunger is also solvable. Uh, I know that something like 16,000 uh, people a day around the world die from malnutrition. And whether it's Lebanon or Ethiopia, w which was the catalyst for our work, the famine back in 1984, uh, global hunger to me, has, has I haven't understood it well enough to understand how and why it's solvable. But say a little bit about that, because I, I found that perspective to be really inspiring. Some of... Uh the key reasons why we have hunger today. One is funding. Uh, the second one is climate change um, and, and, and war. And, and civil war is a big one. There, you know, every, time, every day you open the paper or go on a, on a blog, you're going to find that you know, there's a lot of fighting, uh, which keeps us and, and other organizations from reaching the most vulnerable. I mean, when you heard me talk about the example of these women and children that were leaving South Sudan going to to um, to Ethiopia. I mean, it, it's heartbreaking that somebody would have to flee their their place and leave their some of their family behind and walk for two weeks to find safety. Um, so um, and I, I would go to probably my favorite quote from Bill, Bill Gates. He did an op ed in The Wall Street Journal um, was a year ago. But he talked about, you know, it was polio and it, and, and it was hunger. Basically, what he said is, you know, he said, all, all these problems are solvable. And he said, and his quote was, years of data and science have shown us that as financial resources go up, deaths retreat. And, and by the way, th that's a fact. As financial resources go up, deaths retreat. And we have to have access to, to, to people. And so... You know, part of that is we're always going to have, you know, climate change creates more storms, creates more, more vulnerability. Civil war uh, creates uh, our inability to reach people. But when you think about the fact that the World Food Program, as an example, can feed somebody for less than 50 cents and that and that's delivery, that's everything. That's an that's an amazing it's an amazing thing that we can feed somebody for 50 cents. Um, so for me, it's, you know, we have to, you know, we have significant funding gaps right now. We've had significant funding gaps for a year. Um, and by the way, that's not only from governments that in this, the U.S. government is the most generous con uh, contributor, by the way, to the World Food Program. But we have to have more from the private sector 
And, you know, I, I, I have to use this example because it's so top of mind. I was reading uh, a financial blog just this morning, and it talked about those billionaires in the United States that have where their financial net worth has gone up $23 billion in the last two weeks. And, and, I, and then I think about the fact that we are, you know, for a billion dollars, you could cure hunger in an entire country. And so for me, I think that there's something wrong uh, with the equation where we have so many billionaires, but yet we have so many people that are marching towards starvation. It's solvable, but it's not solvable without the resources to give us the ability uh, to reach people. Yeah, um, I, I might get this wrong twice, but I was looking at your website and I took the quiz um, before we got on the call and did I, this is the one I got wrong, I think, which was fi- a contribution of $15 can feed a kid for a month. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So, right. Uh, I think, I think $15 provides 75 meals. That's yeah. That's incredible. Okay. Well, I mean, by the way, I should probably retake the quiz as well. So I got four out of five. Correct. <laughs> that, that kind of leads into the question that I wanted to ask both of you, um, and it provides part of the answer probably, which is how do you make the case, um, Sandra, with your uh, history with UNICEF, your passion for No Kid Hungry and for the World Food Program, uh, how do you both make the case that at a time when Americans are so focused on our needs here um, and so many people out of work and the, the poverty and the economy, how do you make the case that people also need to pay attention to what's going on going on around the world? And I find as somebody who's, you know, also passionate about the work that you're doing, uh, it's hard to learn about it from the daily news, right? Most of our news has been so focused on what's going on here. You know that there are terrible problems uh, in other countries, particularly during COVID. And there's a little bit of attention to it, but not much. How do the two of you make the argument to uh, a listener that they should be investing in the world food program when countries you know have food insecurity you know food is a basic vaccination against chaos right when you have increased when you don't have food you have increased unrest you have protests you have you know conflict and it's it's something that we can all easily provide to one another maybe we don't have a vaccination for covid right now but we certainly have a vaccination against starvation and we can all participate in giving back when it comes to that and i think that we need to and and it's it's opportunities and platforms like this one billy that provide people the opportunity to remember that it's not just all about COVID. There are other issues in the world that need to be dealt with and they need to be dealt with directly as in today. And there is a way that you can help for such a small amount of money. That's less than $15 is less than a manicure. And how many kids and women and all sorts of people are out, you know, or were out getting manicures? Well, instead of using the money there, because we're not allowed to go out and get them anyway, give it to, you know, the World Food Program. And save some lives. That's such a wonderful thing to do. Also, when you have your children at home, now that we have to educate at home or mostly at home, this is a great way to educate our children about what's going on with other children in the world, the malnutrition that's going on in the world with other children. You know, we're at home 
we, you know, some people get depressed and they feel unhappy and our children are upset they can't go and play. Well, maybe that's a great time to educate them on what other children have to go through right now in other countries. And maybe this is a perfect opportunity to show them how to provide for those children and take care of one another. And so um, I think that it's important that we talk about other things other than COVID in this moment. And hunger is certainly one of the major ones we have to talk about. That's really well said, Sandra. And one other thing you mentioned was so well said, I'm just going to repeat it. Food is a basic vaccination against chaos um, and that we you know, have a vaccination against starvation. Uh, and what I love about that is kind of underscoring the preventive nature of food's uh, ability to help head off so many other problems that would be so much more costly and that we pay for so dearly if we don't um, invest upstream with food. Uh, Baron, what's your take? You know, uh, I would start just by saying that um, I have an incredible amount of gratitude for those uh, Americans that have supported us so far this year. Um, it has been... Um, We've been received in such a positive way from foundations, from companies, from from individuals. Uh, and so I would say that, you know, our trends are, are, are very positive. And I think Americans have always responded around hunger. Uh, I think that what we have to do at the World Food Program USA is we have to to make sure that Americans know about the need. And to your point, you know, it is tough right now getting uh, visibility around um, around what's happening uh, globally with, with food. But I would tell you that uh, one of my, you know, I've been the CEO since the end of January uh, of this year, and uh, I'm putting a lot of my time and my team's effort in making sure that, that Americans know the need and that they know that there's a solution to the need. I'll also say that I, I, I have a, a core and a fundamental belief. And my belief is that we can't decide where we're born. And I happen to be very lucky as a, as a human being. I was born into a loving family that had resources that, that, that took care of me. I could have, have easily been born in Afghanistan in an area that's held by the Taliban um, in an area of conflict without food. We can't decide where we're born. And if we could, who would decide to be born among civil war and into poverty? So I, I have a fundamental belief, and I believe that every, everybody in the United States believes the same thing, that we, you, know, you can't decide where you're born, but whether that child is here in the United States or that child is here, um, is, is in Afghanistan or in Yemen or, or that, that, that mom, that we need to help them. They deserve the same amount of help, regardless of where you're born and, and where, you where you live. Everybody deserves the same opportunity. And speaking of uh, how people can help, I'm assuming the best way, Baron, uh, starts with your website? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, hopefully uh, your listeners have walked away with a few things that they have learned that may be new. And so I would ask people to... Please use your social media channels to, to by the way, um, you know, please let people know about the needs here in the United States and the needs globally. Um, so everybody has a voice, but 
I say everybody listening to this show likely has a voice, <clears throat> but not everybody in the world has a voice. So be the voice for those that are not being heard. And yes, absolutely go to the World Food Program, WFPUSA.org to get more involved. And, 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 and please volunteer, volunteer for your local food bank here in the United States. Get involved, whether it's here in the U.S. or get involved with our, with our, our global movement. But um, there are too many people today that don't know where their next meal is coming from. There are way too many people that are marching towards starvation and be part of that solution. It's solvable. Um, I also want to make sure people know how to learn more about um, the amazing work uh, of Sandra Lee, which is simply sandralee.com. You see the incredible breadth of things that uh, Sandra's involved in. Really amazing. Uh, it, it probably uh, doesn't do justice to the humanitarian work uh, that you're doing, Sandra, but um, in so many ways, that kind of speaks for itself. Um, we've got, I think my sister has one last question for you. Sandra. Oh, yeah, Sandra, uh, just to end on a slightly lighter note on this uh, podcast, one of the things we'd love to ask our culinary talent when we're talking to them is, and right now with COVID in LA, it's not easy to go out to eat, but if you could go out is there a little gem in Los Angeles you'd like to tell our listeners about that either is doing takeout or, you know, um, w once they open up would be the, a great place to go? W what are you craving these days? Oh, gosh. What I would really like to do is go to Gladstone's and just sit by the ocean and have some a big bowl of, like, um, clam chowder. They have the best clam chowder in the world. Old, old restaurant, right? H hasn't that been around forever? Yes, it has. It's it's a wonderful place, but I do want to I do want to also bring light. We've talked about the World Food Pro World Food Program and making donations to that. Um, we've talked about my website, which is great, but I also want to shed a little bit of light on No Kid Hungry. There are also a lot of children in the United States that because they're not going back to school, they're not getting the meals and the food that they need. So you know, go to NoKidHungry.org. And check that out as well. I am sorry, Billy, I have to give a shout out to you. Um, I just think it's really important that these children that are not getting the hot lunch programs and are not getting classroom breakfasts, those children are also at risk. So we need to keep everybody in mind. And this is the perfect opportunity when we are not going to send our children out trick-or-treating. We are not going to be doing certain things, which means that we will have more monies uh, possibly to help more more monies possibly to help those you know the world food program and no kid hungry would definitely be where i believe that those money should be donated and gifted thank you for mentioning that the need is so great you know we for the last 10 years have been uh focused on making sure that uh, a, a percentage of kids who were eligible for school meals but weren't getting them were enrolled in the programs and now suddenly with schools closed more than 30 million kids including 22 million low-income kids we're not getting school meals at all. And the effort to create al alternate sites uh, to find substitute ways of feeding them outside the schools on a grab-and-go basis with nonprofit and community organization partners, is a, it's a formidable task. We're doing it. We will grant out $35 million in just the next 12 weeks to organizations around the country so that they have what they need, whether it's personal protective gear or uh, refrigeration or staffing, 
to make sure that kids still get these meals that are part of the federal school lunch and school breakfast programs. They're 100%, the food's 100% reimbursed. Uh, our funds go to knocking down whatever barriers exist between uh, the kids and the meals. So uh, thanks for mentioning that. Thank you both for just really doing heroic work uh, for, as you said, being a voice for those whose voices don't get heard and for focusing attention where it needs to be, whether the cause is and the moment is visible uh, or not. This is uh, life and death issues for many, many people uh, around the globe right now. And if it weren't for the World Food Program and the World Food Program USA, uh, a lot of folks would not have the chance they have to to survive this. So it's really been a treat to have you, uh, Baron Seeger, President and CEO of World Food Program USA, and Sandra Lee, longtime champion of the No Kid Hungry campaign, and now a board member of World Food Program USA. Uh, thanks so much for being on Ad Passion and Stir. Fantastic. Thanks, everybody. In response to COVID-19, the World Food Program launched its largest scale-up response ever, providing meals to 109 million people in more than 80 countries. Since our episode aired, the World Food Program USA worked to help secure more than $4 billion in funding for the Title II Food for Peace Program and the International Disaster Assistance Programming as part of the Biden administration's American Rescue Plan Act. They've also partnered with Street Art for Mankind to bring the Zero Hunger Street Mural Project to six U.S. cities, and they welcomed a $1 million donation from Superstar The Weekend. You can learn more about all of this and the World Food Program's USA critical work at WFPUSA.org. Thanks so much for joining us on Ad Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore. I hope you'll go back and look at our archive uh, of uh, episodes at adpassionandstir.com. You can rate us, rank us, subscribe, and share with friends on behalf of the whole team at Share Our Strength in the No Kid Hungry campaign. Thanks for listening.